Amen, amen, amen. So, last week we began a series entitled Expectations of the Church, and I shared part one of this series with you. And in that message, we covered the two out of four responsibilities that I have and that pastors have when it comes to leading a church. We also looked at two out of four responsibilities that you have as an attendee of a church or as a member of the Cornerstone Church. And when we looked at the two out of the four responsibilities that I have as a pastor, we learned that my responsibility is to pray for you. Someone say pray. pray. And also to teach you. Someone say teach. We saw from the scripture that which I have a responsibility to teach you in. I have a responsibility to teach you the walk and the work. Someone say walk, someone say work. In case you're not aware, walk refers to your character and how you're living your life for God. And work refers to the work of the ministry. And I highlighted last week that ministry isn't just what you see in here. The word ministry simply means service. We're all called to ministry, whether it's in our homes or in our workplace. So we are all called to put our hands to the plow. We also learned last week when it came to your two responsibilities out of the four responsibilities that you have, that you are to support the local church. And you're supposed to do this through serving, through your resources, your giving, your knowledge, and the like to build God's kingdom. We also learned that we have a collective responsibility to share the gospel with others in order to see people come to Christ. Today we continue and conclude the series Expectations of the Church with part two of this message. And today I'm going to begin with the other two responsibilities that I have. So you'll get all four responsibilities that I have as a pastor, and then we're going to look at the other two responsibilities that you have as a church to conclude the four that you have as a church. Does that make sense? Wonderful. Turn with me, please, in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 18. We're going to read one verse from Exodus chapter 18, and that's going to be verse 21. Exodus chapter 18. Have you found Exodus chapter 18? If you've not found it yet, say, wait for me. If you don't have your Bible, say forgive me. Okay, I'll give you a second. I mean, it's not hard to find. It's Genesis and then it's Exodus, right? <laughs> Exodus 18 verse 21 reads as follows. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. Lord, we thank you that we have the opportunity to come together once again this morning, even as we celebrate nine years of the Cornerstone Church. We just pray that our hearts will be open to receive everything that you have in store for us today. We pray that everything that we receive will fall on good ground. It will grow and become fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. And everyone said, Amen. In the scripture we just read, which we also looked at last week, Jethro gives Moses a biblical and suitable system for church leadership and governance. However, we see from the structure that it requires leaders. He was told to appoint able men. And so after praying and teaching, when it comes to my responsibilities as a pastor, which I shared with you last week, I have a responsibility to, number one, appoint leaders. Someone say appoint leaders. 
Now, Jethro's advice to Moses was rather than trying to do all of this work by yourself, what you should do is preach to everybody, but then appoint reliable, strong, able leaders who will oversee the congregation and oversee matters pertaining to the congregation. Now, I told you last week that I would show you in Scripture what happened when Moses didn't apply this system. And that's exactly what I want to do right now. If you turn to Numbers chapter 11 and we read from verse 14, we see an example of Moses not applying this system that was given to him. In Numbers 11 verse 14, this is Moses speaking. He says, I am not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, listen to what he says. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. If I have found favor in your sight. In other words, God, if you love me, if you care about me and this is how I've got to do ministry, just kill me now. And do not let me see my wretchedness. Now watch God's response in verse 16. So the Lord said to Moses, gather to me. 17 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, bring them to the tabernacle of meeting that they may stand there with you. Then I will come down and talk with you there. I will take off the spirit that, take off the spirit that is upon you and will put the same spirit upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you that you may not bear it yourself alone. God said, bring the people into the presence of God. Let them stand there with you. Give them responsibility. Let them bear the burden with you. In other words, we see in God's own words that leaders are not to do the ministry by themselves. They're to appoint able people to do it. Otherwise, they'll end up feeling and being in a position like Moses where they just want to quit, where they just want to give up because the load is too much to bear. Now, in order for me to do this here at the Cornerstone Church, I, as the pastor of the church, and you, as members of the church, have to understand that we are all on a journey. We are all on a journey. And I say that because part of being on a journey means that we all make mistakes. We all make mistakes. And because of that, we have the responsibility to build and support one another in this journey, to encourage one another and not to tear our brothers and sisters down, okay? We have that responsibility. So tap the person next to you and tell them, encourage me now, encourage me, encourage me. I say that because we are all on a journey and we all make mistakes. And there are times where I listen back to some of the messages I've preached because I listen back to them and I cringe. And I'm like, did I really say that? Did I really say it in that way? Did I really mess that up? And the irony of it is that last week, I was looking back on last week's message. And in that message, I made reference to pride and humility. And I quoted Luke 18, 1 with my chest. Only to actually go back. Something just said, go and look at the scripture when I was looking at it and listening to it. And I got the whole scripture wrong. I meant to quote James 4.10, and I said Luke 18.1, okay? So that is an example of how we are all on the journey, and we all will make mistakes. 
It reminds me of a leader, true story, who wanted to develop, a pastor who wanted to develop a leader in their church. And as part of that leadership development, he said, you know what, I want you to go up and I want you to do announcements at church. And so this young man gets up, he's from the youth ministry, he is nervous, but as part of the development, he's been encouraged. No, you go for it. You do announcements. It will be fine. And he stands up in front of the church, and there's thousands of people in this church, and he's doing announcements. And what he meant to say was, the youth are not having any services this week. That's what he meant to say. What he ended up saying was, to thousands of people in the church, parents and all, the youth aren't having any sex this week. You can imagine, it's great, right? You can imagine the response of the congregation, right? And of course, the pastor had to come up and correct and assure and reassure the parents as to what takes place in youth ministry, okay? But it's just a reminder that not all leaders are born. Some are developed, some are going to take time to grow into their leadership. So we have to allow room for error. So let's encourage one another. Let's make leading easy for those who lead us. And let's all together, collectively, have a responsibility to encourage our brothers and sisters on this journey. Because if we don't and we tear people down, people are going to be reluctant to put themselves forward. And then the work is going to remain with the few. Someone say appoint leaders. Now, secondly, before all of that, let me tell you what my primary responsibility is as the pastor of this church and what the primary responsibility of a pastor is before praying for you, before teaching you, and before appointing leaders. My primary responsibility is to be an example in my home first. It is to be an example in my home first. I am to pray for you, yes. I am to teach you, yes. I'm to appoint leaders, yes. But when it comes to the full thing, the full thing is actually the most important thing I need to be doing before I stand here before you. And it's to be an example to my home first. Exodus chapter 4, verses 24 to 26 says this. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him, speaking of Moses still, and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let him go. Then he said, You are a husband of blood. Let me give you the context here. Moses and his wife Zipporah are having a fight. They're having a fight because God was about to kill Moses. He sends Moses on a journey, and on that journey, he's about to kill him. Why? He's about to kill him because Moses' son wasn't circumcised. And God gave Moses the responsibility to preach and carry out circumcision amongst the children of Israel. At that time, circumcision represented salvation. It was a metaphor of the circumcision of the heart. And God was going to kill Moses because he was preaching to others that they needed to be circumcised and his own son wasn't circumcised. In other words, he was going to kill Moses because he was preaching something he wasn't practicing in his own home. Now, we don't know who was right when it came to the argument. 
Some people say that Zipporah was the one who didn't want their son to be uh, circumcised because in her culture, she was a Midianite. In their culture, you don't get circumcised until you're about to get married. How many of you are grateful that you don't do that today and that you get circumcised as a kid? Because that would be another story for us guys. Some people argue that Moses got so caught up in Midianite culture that he forgot where he came from and the fact that he was supposed to circumcise his son. Either which way, God was angry because Moses was preaching one thing but living a different thing in his home. I always say to people, I don't want to preach here and become a castaway myself. I don't want to preach here and not be an example in my home. But oftentimes when pastors and leaders are not able to be an example unto us, it's because the rigors of life and the rigors of ministry have taken their toll. When you look at the fact that David committed sin with Bathsheba, when you read David's story up until that incident, you can see how stressful life was for him. Now, I'm not saying that's a justification for what he did, but you can clearly see with the troubles that he had within his home and with King Saul as well, that this man was burnt out. I know what it feels like to be burnt out. I have been clinically fatigued before because of the rigors of ministry. In fact, I remember, I think mean, it was a few years ago, I was in New York City for a few days and I spent the best part of that time there in my bed, not wanting to brush my teeth, not wanting to get up and shower, not wanting to go anywhere or do anything, but just binge on worthless TV because I was fatigued. Being a pastor, sitting with pastors and sitting with leaders, I have seen other pastors and leaders of different ministries, families suffer and marriages suffer because their focus has been this first rather than their home first. This is now why hopefully some of you will understand why I have an annual summer break. This is why I guard my Saturdays. Saturdays are my Sabbath, okay? Those of you who've been coming to the church for a while know that I don't do anything related to ministry on a Saturday. You can text me about meeting up. You can call me, anything like that. If it's got to do with ministry, we're not having that conversation. That is my Sabbath, and I guard it. But because I work Monday to Friday, and Sunday is a working day for me, after preaching, sometimes I'm in meetings, sometimes I go home and I'm in meetings, sometimes I go home and I'm preparing for next week's sermon or I'm doing some admin. It means Saturdays is my Sabbath and sometimes I will have Monday as the day off. But there are days like yesterday where I was preaching at a conference, so I move my Sabbath and that's fine because we're not under law, we're under grace and I might have it on a Monday and a, and a Tuesday off. But the reason why I'm saying this to you is so that you can understand that it's not personal if I can't make your birthday gathering or your event that you have on a Saturday. Not that you invite pastor anyway. Okay? Because some of you be like, pastor's here, you know, you better fix up, you know. And I'm not saying you shouldn't invite us. That's not what I'm saying, that you shouldn't invite Esther. And that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, hopefully now you understand that my priority is my home first. Therefore, we have to prioritize quality time first. And if that offends you, that's Okay. I'm not offended by the fact that you're offended by that. And let me tell you why. Because God forbid, should I be 
at, in a hospital bed, you and your party are not going to be by my bedside. It's going to be her. It's going to be my family. So if you're offended, that's okay. But I understand that it's my responsibility to be an example in my home first and not to preach to others and become a castaway myself and to be an example to you as to how it should be done. And that will always be my priority as it comes to ministry. And to be honest, even though that's my priority as a pastor, I think that should be the priority for every one of us. I think we should live a life where we say, you know what, I want to be an example to my spouse, I want to be an example to my siblings, I want to be an example to my home first before anything and anyone else. So those are my four responsibilities to pray for you. I see the celebrations have started in earnest already. Um, to pray for you, don't worry, it's fine, it's cool. To pray for you, to teach you, and it's also to appoint leaders and also to be an example in my home. Don't worry, when it comes lower, I'll dunk it. So there you go. You clap for balloons, but you don't clap for my sermon, yeah? Is that how it is, yeah? Nine years, yeah? See you later, people. It's been good. So here are the two out of the um, four responsibilities that you have now as the church. I gave you two last week. I'm going to give you two this week. Number one, you have a responsibility to invite others to come and see. Tell the person next to you, come and see. In John chapter 1, verses 45 to 46, it reads as follows. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. In addition to going and telling people the good news of the gospel, which I told you last week, you have a responsibility to invite people to come and see. And so when they have questions for you about church and about your church, tell them, come and see. When they ask you, is your church relevant, tell them, come and see. Does your church do this and do that? Come and see. You have a responsibility to invite people to come personally and let God do the work when you invite them I'll tell you a quick story many of you have heard me tell this story before but we had a lady in our church several years ago she came to me and she said Pastor Kunle I'm inviting a friend to church I'm inviting him personally but I just want to let you know he's had a bad experience when it comes to church especially when it comes to money he said every time I speak to him she said every time I speak to him he always talks about the fact that all the church does is talk about money, 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 money. So I just want to, want to let you know. And I said, okay, that's cool. Little did she know that we was about to start our series on money that very Sunday. So she brought the guy, and the guy came. And I remember standing up front, and I remember saying, guys, we're going to begin a series, and we're going to be talking about biblical finance and money. And I glazed over, and I just saw her eyes go, Mung. And then I just see her look at her friend. And it was funny because at the end of that service, that guy actually gave his life to Christ in that service. And here's the thing. If I had told her beforehand we were going to talk on money, she probably would have thought twice about inviting him that week. 
And sometimes we worry about what's going to happen in service that week when it's not our job to be the Holy Spirit. It's our job to invite and let people come and receive for themselves. I know what it's like. We've all been there. We've been to churches, and it might have even happened to you here, where you invite someone, and that week, that's when we're talking about praying in tongues, or we're praying about, we're talking about money, or talking about something, and you're thinking, Pastor Kunlay, not today. I invited my friend. I told him all about the church. Let's not try to do the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's do our part in inviting people to come and see and let God do the rest. Tell the person next to you, come and see. Secondly, we all have a responsibility to be an inclusive, loving family. To be an inclusive, loving family. I thought you would say amen at that point. John chapter 13, verse 35 says this. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know what I've, I've noticed about churches as a whole, right? I've noticed that sometimes we are good at welcoming people. We are good at saying hi to people. We're good at greeting people. We're good at welcoming people after service. But I'm not sure that we are good at making people feel at home. And I can tell you now that people are not looking for people who are just friendly. They're looking for people who are authentic, people who are genuine. And you can always tell when someone's saying hi to you because that's the responsibility they have. And when someone's saying hi to you because they're genuinely interested in you as a person. And sometimes I think we can say hi and we can smile and we can address people, but I don't know if we're good at welcoming people into our homes, inviting them to things that we are doing in the week and outside of church and places we're going and making an effort to actually stay in touch with people when they come to the house of God. But when you look at the church in Acts, the Bible says they fellowship and broke bread together every day in each other's homes. Not just that, the Bible said that they shared according to everyone's need. In order for them to know the need of everybody requires a level of friendship. It requires a level of connection. It requires a level of intimacy. It requires a level of frequency of consistency. I always say to people, if this church is your church, if this church is your home church, if you're a member here, there is a reason that you're a member here in this season. It's clear that there are people around you that God would have you connect with and build relationships with. And sometimes it's very easy and tempting to say, well, I've got my own friends outside the church or I've got my one or two people outside church. But there's a reason why God placed you here and it's for you to connect with others and for others to connect with you. Now, please don't misunderstand me when I'm going to say what I'm about to say. Please don't misunderstand me. We are to love the lost. I understand that. But in this scripture that we just read in John 13, 35, Jesus didn't say by the love you have for the world. He didn't say by the love you have for your goals. He didn't say for the love that you have for your career. He didn't say for the love that you have for travel. And I love traveling. Does anyone else here love traveling? He didn't say for the love you have for food. Anyone here love food? Nudge your neighbor and say that one is for you, that one is for you. 
He didn't even say for the love you have for the lost. He said for the love you have for one another, people will know that you are my disciples. And let me tell you this. If you can't love your brother and sister in Christ, that you have Christ in common with, how are you going to love people of the world who don't think like you? And he said, it's by the love you have for one another. In other words, when you're out with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, people should stand back and look at your friendships and relationships and say, Ra, there's something different about you guys. What is it about the way you guys love each other and support each other and care, each other, care for each other that they can turn around and say, hold on, tell me about that. And you can say, it's because of Christ. It's because of Christ in our hearts. And so we have a responsibility to be a loving, inclusive family and to be our brother's keeper. And then together we can reach our community as family and as one. But I must add a disclaimer right here and right now. This disclaimer being that, please understand, if you are visiting the Cornerstone Church or any church, no one or two people represent the whole church. And I say that because even though we're supposed to be an inclusive, loving family, Let's be honest, not everyone in the church is loving. For some people, they're the opposite. I listened to a podcast a few weeks ago. The guy on the podcast said, in every church, there is at least 10% of the people who are demons. And he said it's designed, he said it's designed intentionally to keep the church on their toes when it comes to prayer. Okay. And so, not everybody that you meet is going to be as loving as you expect. But please don't use those one or two people and paint the whole church with that brush. And in case you're wondering, can demons be in the church? Go and read Mark chapter 1. Go and read Mark 1, 22, 23, and 24, and you'll get your answer. And so in conclusion, we have a responsibility to support the local church, share the gospel, invite people along, and online too. It's a great place to start. And to be a loving family. And when you do this, it goes without saying. It goes without saying that, of course, there are other things we are responsible for that are a no-brainer. Praying, supporting one another, studying and growing in our worship unto God. But we have a responsibility as a church to be the church and not just attend the church. Now, as I close, I don't know if you've noticed this, but if we actually combine the responsibilities that we have, the four that I have as a pastor that I shared last week and this week, and the four that you have as a church, you will see that prayer and teaching, appointing leaders, sharing and inviting others is all about Christ. Being an example in my home first, being a loving family is about Christ and connection. Supporting your local church and using your gifts wherever you are is about Christ, connection, and contribution. And that is our vision here at the Cornerstone Church, to see mankind live a significant life through Christ, connection, and contribution. This is why we say, and the cards around you on your seat say, you are significant because we all have a role to play. So do me a favor, tell two or three people around you, you are significant. Tell them like you mean it. Poke them in the eye and say, you are 
significant. And so my challenge to you is to play your part by number one, challenging yourself to step out and grow when it comes to sharing the gospel and inviting others. And you can sign up for outreach at the end of the month and you can shadow people and see how it's due. But I challenge you in that area. Secondly, I challenge you to be an example of love unto others. And thirdly, I want to challenge you and encourage you to get involved in a team and serve and use your gifts to serve and build God's kingdom if you are not already in a team. And in a moment, I'm going to introduce the leaders to you so you know who's who and who's responsible for what so that you can speak to them and get involved and play your part. Amen? Happy birthday, church. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you because you have given us all responsibilities and a part to play in building your kingdom. So, Lord, we pray that even as your word has gone forth both last week and this week, and we've looked at the expectations of the church, we pray, Lord, that we will not just be hearers of the word alone, but we'll be doers of the word, that we will use our gifts and our resources that you have blessed us with to serve you and to build your kingdom, to be an example wherever we go, an example in our workplace, an example in our homes, an example in the community, that we may see souls saved, Lord, that we may see the lost hungry for you, and that we will see us all become one loving, inclusive family. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen. Amen.